there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions, which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, we've had a long winter break. Sorry for going uh, AWOL on you for a couple of weeks there, but we're back with a vengeance and to kick off the new year, happy new year, by the way. Here's part two of our conversation with Richard, the savvy young property enthusiast who's in the process of setting up his new business here in Japan, serving uh, foreigners who are purchasing homes in the country. And he wanted to pick my brain a bit more. We'll link to the first part of the conversation a few months back in this episode show notes. But in this segment, we analyze their business model, zeroing in on property profiles, retrieving data from RAINs and other national or regional databases. We talk a bit about the quality or rather lack of quality in many listings in Japan, missing or low resolution photos, etc. We also talk a bit about some of the common uh, dodgy behaviors that are sometimes, not often, but sometimes practiced by realtors in Japan and how to avoid those and find the right realtors to work with if that's even possible. And in case we've let one slip through the cracks, how and when do we terminate a relationship with a realtor that we're already working with? And then we get into a chat about clients, how to identify different types of buyers and their individual needs, as well as seller profiles. So different motivations for sellers, the difference between Japanese and foreigners when it comes to selling a property, uh, how and what we educate our clients on. And then we go up a bit and talk on a more macro scale about topics like the balance between deep and thorough work versus transactional speeds, uh, legal and other complicated aspects of cross-border transactions, and then right back into the nitty-gritty details again of realtor fees, how we research and analyze potential locations for investment properties, and much more. So a really good look behind the curtains at how we run our business here at NTI, as well as a fascinating conversation with someone new in the field who's looking to get into it and what they're thinking about as they prepare to open the doors on their new business. Hope you have as much fun with this one as I did. Enjoy the conversation, and I will see you again on the other side. All right. So since we spoke last time, you said you're just about ready to um, open up shop. It wasn't that long, right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't too long ago. When was it? Was, was it uh, two, two, three months ago? Last I think time? so, yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, no. No, it would have been December last year, I think. December last year, yeah. Yeah, time been... flies, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Believe it or not, it's more than halfway into 2023. Yep. 
So, so what have you done? Like, what, what, give, give me an update. What niche have you decided on? What have you done so far? Uh, so you talked about uh, the, you know, the holiday properties. Uh, those are the right niches to focus on the last time. Uh, but from my point of view, uh, holiday properties are also a little bit uh, trickier to sell. You, know? uh, you need to find the right buyers. And yeah. uh, for an early stage business, when you're like starting out, you need to build a runway. Uh, and one of the best ways in real estate, or perhaps the only way you can build a runway at the start anyways, is to sell those properties. And uh, if they don't sell, that means that's how long uh, we'll be tied up for cash. So it just doesn't seem like the most optimal path right now, but maybe down the line, we can pursue that. So, so the plan was to actually buy them yourself and then resell them, was it? Uh, I understand what you're suggesting. We can. No, no I'm uh, just wondering. <laughs> not suggesting anything. I'm just wondering what the right. plan was from the because I thought you were going to facilitate the purchases, right, like right. an agent kind of does. Yeah. Yeah, but again, uh, we're already like uh, so we're connected to uh, uh, realtor in Singapore. So we're also maybe dealing. We want to focus on like Tokyo start at, the, at first, but at the same time, there's the access to Singaporean properties as well. Because before we got access to the rains, we actually got access to the Singaporean properties. So, uh, you know, while, while we're still working on uh, the technical areas of the business, you know, we're uh, still setting up the database and we're still trying, we're, we haven't yet scraped data from uh, rains, but it, may I ask if it's possible to scrape data from rains? Um. Well, you need to be a licensed realtor to access the database, but you can definitely do it via somebody that you either hire or partner with. Right. We, you know, we already have access to Reigns, but we haven't yet started scraping data. But uh, well, What do you mean by scraping data? Sorry. Uh, so the historical data, I, trends, areas, statistics, that sort of thing? Uh, what I mean is, uh, you, you know, like... I know that they don't have an API because the website looks awfully old. Yeah. It looks probably made of HTML, uh, you know, uh, or or worse, <laughs> yeah. maybe some uh, very 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 basic CSS. Uh, but that when usually like for most of these uh, online databases, uh, they have like an API they can connect to your website, and then you can kind of list all the properties that are already there in the, in the database. But what we can do instead, instead of like trying to list them directly. Uh, through the API is to scrape them. I mean, it's, uh, it's sort of like, well, how do you, how do you put it? Uh, extract what is there, and then we want it uh, to appear on our web page. Okay, so instead of an API connecting directly, you're going to be exporting data and then importing it into your own system. Pretty much, yes, yes. Um, and also, that's and beyond me, man. I don't know. I've never worked with Reigns directly. We just, we're very happy to work with our partner realtors and just ask them for data when we need it. So I can't really say, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, but one of the things that, uh, as we start, start out that we want, uh, what I, what I want and we, what we want is to focus on uh, the quality of uh, the representation of the properties, right? Especially, uh, I, I saw like most of the properties, how they listed in like, very horrible lighting, uh, you know, angle of photography is probably done. I don't know what they use for the photography. <laughs> a lot of them use, still use uh, flip phones, by the way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's terrible, uh, you know, and that's putting it nicely. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so we need to probably 
go to those properties like uh, one by one and retake all those photos with the right lighting. Uh, maybe also some properties, uh, they would sell better if we can uh, probably present it better, meaning maybe we might have to do a little bit of uh, uh, fixing the fixer upper, you know, as we put it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, a little bit of renovation might be necessary for some places, but if it has potential, we want to go there and we want to invest in that. So and, is that uh, so what then, led you to deciding to purchase them yourself and then resell them? In a way, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but like the Hollywood properties are just a bit out there with the price ranges, you know, and yeah. uh, it's not really easy to sell. And uh, for the time being, uh, as many as we can, we don't want to buy, but we want to work with uh, either realtors or owners, real estate owners, right, who have properties or have a list of properties uh, and they want to sell them. So I, I've learned from uh, one of our partners that apparently a lot, a lot of real estate companies do is that um, they tend to, instead of before listing it directly on range where all relatives have access to it, that they only list in pretty much the last moment right before the sale happens. Okay, this is what, to avoid the buyer coming in via another agent, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't approve of that practice, but I get the greed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be better for... Um, I mean, from a customer point of view, if they can just upload it directly and uh, if everybody can view the property and you know, the goal of you being in real estate in the first place is facilitate the sale, right? So as long as it's getting sold, you're doing your part. So and that's what should happen. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of real estate companies are in this practice where- Yeah, good know, luck with they, that. I don't think that we're gonna change the industry that way. I don't, that'd be great, but I don't see it happening to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, what we wanna do is, uh, I mean, we're not gonna focus on any of that, but we're gonna focus on quality, right? Uh, that's one of the way we differentiate ourselves. So people just want to do fast sales, uh, you know, uh, Put a, put a bunch of properties out there, whatever sells, whatever uh, go sells, and uh, that that's they're happy with that. But what we want to do is we want to focus more on the good properties, right? Like the ones that would, if 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 I were to buy a property, what would I be happy with? Uh, if that's that's what I want to think from the first place. And the second place is, uh, what is the need of the buyer? What is like the general need? Uh, what is the buyer looking for when they're to buy a property? So if but, you know, uh, they're, they're often not going to be like yourself, right? Um, different yeah. buyers are not looking so for the things you'd be looking for. So that's that's why I want to look from the buyer's point of view, and it's hard to extrapolate that data because yeah. not everyone wants the same thing. You know, someone might want a house that is like a triangle shaped, and the other words probably don't want that. You know, they probably never want it. Uh, so the same, everyone has their own dream house or dream needs. Uh, so we want to see what is right and what is, is closely or as best matches that. We want to make sure we want to connect that uh, to the seller. And then there are also those who are looking to sell properties, yeah, but there are not many places where they can uh, they can trust enough to sell them. And some there are some uh, sellers who may not want to go through a realtor to sell it. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. 
They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know. They're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. You talk about normal run-of-the-mill Japanese sellers, I'm assuming? Uh, uh, I would assume uh, it, can have, it can be between both, both foreign and Japanese sellers. Yeah, I mean, I... Definitely there's room for everything you've just said with the foreigners. With the Japanese, I just don't know to tell you. I'm assuming tradition often wins, especially because a lot of them are not very motivated sellers. Some of these properties, as you can probably see, are on the market for a very long time. Um, mm -hmm. Just because it's an elderly person passed away, left the property to their descendants. They just, I mean, sometimes it's even like the government and Akia Bank telling them, hey, why don't you? Uh, like they're not super motivated sellers looking for that banking on that money for the next property purchase and stuff that you see in other countries. So I'm not sure how, what your success rate would be with a Japanese seller being approached by a foreign company saying we can do better than all the Japanese realtors you've been, I have no idea. It's uh, sounds like it might be a bit of an uphill battle, but I could be completely wrong. I don't know. I agree because a lot of uh, the businesses in Japan tends to be more relationship oriented. So mm. they try to build that connection with the audience first. And that's what we want to do too. So uh, we want to make sure that each uh, uh, client that we have, uh, they have, uh, they are continuously being rewarded in a way, you know? So uh, with the latest information, market information to, if they're open to it, maybe connect them with other buyers too. So there's a little bit of a circle there going on uh, and, uh, of course, um, as much as possible, we want to make sure that we don't be as transparent as possible. So we're not like hiding any information. Because a lot of real estate uh, and sales-based companies do that, tend to do that a lot. Uh, so we want to be as transparent as possible. You know, everything's going to be upfront. Uh, so there's not going to be any hidden costs. You know, it's all going to be right uh, right in front of them, so they can um, they can see what 
what they're, they they get what they pay for. Well, and, how how and, does that? Sorry, is it okay if I just ask interrupt you with questions and stuff? You know, yeah, go trying to understand. So, how does that work logistically? If you don't own the properties and you're communicating with again, for lack of a better word, traditional Japanese realtors who may have all the information listed, but maybe not either because they don't didn't care to collect it or just because they're just, you know, making things look vague on purpose. I don't know how, what sort of deal pipeline do you think you're going to get with only the realtors who are from the get-go providing all of this information and smoothly working with you? Like, I, I know in our experience, we... We also would love to work with agents like these, but customers come with a, come to us with properties they found by themselves or properties that we've received from agents that we worked with in the past. And it sometimes um, requires us to actually enter the due diligence process before we can provide all of that information. We also like to provide it transparently, but it's not always available from the get-go. So as much as possible, we're going to have to ask what they need to know. And more importantly, uh, we need, of course, to be prepared with all the legal information that is readily available, uh, all the possible costs from our side. What, what can we do? So what we need, what we will be having access to directly is all the entire cost breakdown. Uh, if there's a particular markup, there's going to be a change. All that information we're going to have access to. But then from the uh, client uh, perspective, uh, we're going to have to ask, okay, um, what is what are the questions that you want to ask us? What is that you want to know? Uh, is there something that you're worried about? Uh, we want to ask all those particular questions, you know, uh, we want to brainstorm with them for one session and we, then we do our research. Like if there is something that we are not prepared for, we're going to have to go back and do the research and come back with all that information that they were expecting us to come with. And as we go down, down the, down the line, uh, we're, we're going to be more and more prepared because we kind of, we'll start to know what to expect from people. So when they ask us those questions, uh, because initially, you know, it's going to be, uh, we're not going to have as much information as you start out, right? Uh, as as opposed to when when we kind of gather that information, we got we're going to have we're going to have the data to work work with. So uh, maybe down the line, maybe when the tenth or fifteenth customer comes in, they're going to be uh, we're going to kind of know what they expected to ask or expected to us from our side. Uh, but so two, there's going to be two challenges a- that I see there. One is um, a lot of the time your customers which I'm assuming would be similar to ours. So let's say 80, 90% of them have never purchased a property in Japan or sold one. So they're not going to know what questions to ask. You're going to have to feed them the right questions to ask. You're going to have to tell them what to watch out for. You're going to have to educate them in advance about how things work. Um, And of course, you will definitely know your craft better, like you say, after 10, 15 deals, but still don't expect them to come up with the questions. In many cases, they're not going to know what to ask. So that's one. And, but which is easy. That's manageable on your end. The other side of that is um, depending on the property. So if you're talking about a property that's been abandoned for ages and ages, there's nobody, you know, there's not a line outside of people waiting to buy it. You've got time to collect all this information. And definitely if you're talking about a higher end expensive property, those are usually on the market for a good few months. And the seller also has more information normally, but Anything in between can go very quickly in Japan. So I'm not sure how much time you'll have to gather all of that information um, in advance. You'll often have to submit an offer, like we mentioned in the first conversation, that's going to be pending A, B, C, D, and then they'll go get the answers to those questions. I mean, of course, 
to uh, as much as possible. We need to have to simplify that information. But if they want to know more, we're going to have to be prepared for all that. That's where we do our due diligence and maybe a little bit of our own road work. But there's, of course, these externalities of uh, whether uh, there might be questions that we are not prepared for. There are, of course, going to be times when, for example, it might be outside of Japanese legal system, you know, uh, it, because it's a foreign buyer or an inexperienced buyer or an experienced buyer with extremely difficult questions that we may not have prepared for. So, but we want to do this as much as possible. We don't want to reach that scenario where we are, okay, wait, wait a second. We don't know the answer to that. But instead, uh, as much as possible, we want to have all those questions, all the answers right. prepared. Uh, yeah, but in case something comes up, we just want to make sure that we have the, we can do the research to come back, get back to them with those answers. That's, that's what I mean. I love the approach. I just think it's going to be, I mean, it's a good approach, but it'll be a slow start that way. Um, it'll take you a while to get into the hang of either preparing in advance or creating the relationships with the realtor so that they know to provide this information in advance or, you know, just getting used to the same questions being asked over time. As you mentioned, it'll, it'll just take a bit of time to get there, but I agree. I like the approach. And most importantly, I think, uh, it's the it's how you make the the client uh, the the buyer the seller feel you know so we need to as much as possible uh, show them that we are dedicated as dedicated as they are to sell their properties or buy their properties or even more so uh, those are the kind of buyers or sellers or uh, or any sort of middleman you have ever want to work with so that's that's a who we want to be right so we want to be who we want to work with and. Uh, have you already spoken to realtors, sellers, anyone on the Japanese side um, that's in included in this equation? Have you had some experience yes. with what they're like? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes. So there is a uh, company called Global's, uh, Global Real Estate, uh, and they provide like loans for foreigners. Uh, so they they also pro help uh, in case there are some foreigners who are unqualified to some of those loans, uh, but maybe uh, they will see they'll do a little bit of screening process to see how can we help this foreigner get the loan. And are usually, these foreigners uh, that are Japan residents that they're lending to? Uh, yes, all Japanese residents. Yes, uh, and uh, for for even non-Japanese residents, it's possible to get the loans, except uh, they have to have they have to be able to speak Japanese. Okay, That's so a, even if they have no residency, no Japanese income, they could still qualify. They could qualify, yeah, based okay. on... That's like uh, what Bank of China used to do, I think. Only Chinese and Japanese speakers, but anywhere in the world. Yeah. Okay, that's cool but, that that's an option. Yeah, but there's a recent challenge that I think we're going to be facing, which is uh, Japan, I think, about a year or two years ago. Uh, they introduced like a new law, uh, which would prevent foreign buyers from buying land in Japan or because there's a land restriction uh, law, right? that would uh, at least limit the amount of land foreigners can buy. Uh, so that that might be a bit of a challenge uh, from- uh, Is that a farm. new law? All I know about is farmland and culturally protected or near army bases land. Are you talking about something more far reaching than that? I believe so. Uh, I'm not sure if the uh, law is entirely imposed yet, but I would need to do a little bit of research uh, before. Uh, I get you, the full context. Yeah. Could you send me a link when you find that? Because I've never, I haven't read anything about that. That's really interesting, actually. Okay. Okay. I'll just, uh, maybe I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Uh, That'll be good. Yeah. Okay. And so those are some of those challenges I think we could possibly face is if this uh, law is realized, uh, then it's going to be a little bit more difficult for foreign buyers to come and uh, buy. Because if you're buying property, you 
also might want to own the land that you live in. Uh, as uh, that usually is the case for most foreign buyers, uh, if not all. It's always been the case. So that's a very big shift you're talking about. I'm very curious about this one. Yeah, so um, we just want to make sure that that is. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but uh, based on some of the documents you went through with uh, our new partner, uh, it seems to be a little bit of a, a concern. So, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. That'll be interesting. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So then another thing I want to ask you is like, what are these, like from a buyer seller point of view, uh, what are these standard rates? And because I, I see like it's like around 3% to 5%, right? Like they charge and commission on sale. Are you talking about um, real tours? Hello? Richard? Yeah, from a realtor perspective. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Oh. Um, so I just had a quick look. Um, the only, I'll get back to that question in a second. The only links I see about any kinds of conversation in this respect was back in 2021 when they're talking about. Um, yep, yep, that's one. Milit no, but that was talking about military, close to military command centers, and and that that one did pass, I think. But that that's very specific to areas that are near military Japanese military bases. I don't think that's anything uh, wider than that. Strategic okay. assets law, they call it. Yeah, yeah. The, the law that I was talking about was passed in twenty twenty one. So if, if it's this one, then uh, okay, then it could be. Uh, that's limit. That's strategic military assets uh, near bases and stuff like that. The only other protected uh, land assets that I'm aware of are farmland and obviously cultural heritage. Like you can't tear down a, a you know historical street in Kyoto and build a high rise there, foreigner or not. But otherwise, yeah, that's it. Now, if you've been following this podcast for a while, and in particular our JREP sessions, you're probably more than familiar with Blanca Kobayashi of Arc Reform. They're a bilingual renovation company serving clients in the Kanagawa and Kanto area. So Tokyo, Chiba, Saitama, Kawasaki, Yokohama. They can handle simple, small-scale projects as well as full house renovations. And they will work with you on the perfect design for your dream family home. But not only homes, Arc Reform also handle commercial property renovations, offices, restaurants, bars, shops, you name it, from traditional classics to the latest trends in interior design and renovations. So you want to email them for a free consultation and quote at info at arcreform.com. That's A-R-K reform, all one word, dot com, and give your home or commercial space the love and care that it deserves. So Realtors in Japan charge... Um, 3%, uh, it's a more complex formula, but it boils down to 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax, right? So depending on how expensive the property is, that usually ends up being something like 4, 4.5% or maybe 5, 5 and a bit for very cheap properties. And for like the expensive ones, it usually go, why, why does it come down like to 2 to 1%? It doesn't. It's 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax. They're obliged by law to charge that. It's a mandatory uh, It's a mandatory okay. commission dictated by law. I see it because I was told by a particular realtor uh, that uh, it, it could come down to about 2 to 1%. So I, yeah, I mean, some of them, the ones selling very expensive luxury properties or the ones that are facilitating sales for developers, they put in various discounts into the price so the official commission is what it's supposed to be, and then they give you discounts on other stuff. So yeah, in practice, it can translate to that. But 
Legally, on the documents, it will always be 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax. I see. So It's actually, exactly. the way it actually works is 5% for properties up until 2 million yen, I think, and then 4% for every yen beyond that. But it, it just, it boils down to the same thing. 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax. And for the worst ones, of course, 5%. Worst case, I mean, if you're buying a five, four, three million yen property, then that ends up, like if you factor in the 60,000, which is already a large part of the, that factors out to be something like five, five, five and a half percent in total. But the formula is, yeah, 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax. So if, yeah, if I may ask, like, so are you dealing in properties outside of Tokyo area? And like, what are the areas that you're focusing on? We work all over Japan. We actually don't do much in Tokyo because the returns are disgustingly low, but we, we have helped a few customers buy some properties. We're doing one building there now. We have two with three, I think, with units in Tokyo. But we work all over Japan, just wherever the deals are. Um, for holidays homes, obviously, it's wherever the customer wants to be. And for investment properties, we normally focus on outside of central Tokyo or Osaka, where yields are a bit higher, but cities where the population is still stable or rising. Like Usually, uh, where do you get the data from? So how do you determine... Uh, what is the right place to go uh, and find the right property? Well, the first thing, we try to keep it basic. Um, you'll find articles and opinions and initiatives for the economy and population anywhere if you search. But what we normally do is we look at the last census, census results. So we go to the uh, Bureau of Immigration and Statistics every five years and download the latest census report. Then from that, we extrapolate only the locations that have risen in population in the last five years. Um, we cut out, sometimes, depending on the city, we cut out all of the specific ward office information about which wards are more popular than others, because that changes every year. And then we look at the cities that have been rising in population and start with focusing only on those. If somebody specifically is asking about a different town that's actually decreasing in population, we go back to the original census and let them know what the situation is. And then if the city is... Uh, tiny, let's say below 100,000 people, then we would also look at economy, um, just Wikipedia, that name of the city and its economy and see if it's common information that it's got at least a few industries or major employers going for it, then it's probably safe enough from a tenant-based perspective for our needs. And obviously and like, distance to station yeah. and make sure it's not the worst end of the city kind of thing. But I mean, that just, you get that by Googling and looking on maps and stuff. I mean, for sure, for sure. Uh, so do you tend to, like, on in, just generally speaking, do you focus more on uh, places that are closer to the city or a little further away? Um, it depends on the client's yield and the risk appetite. Not not risk appetite, but I mean, um, for example, suburban properties in a reasonable city, as long as they're within 10 minutes to a station, someone's going to live there, even if it's like the poor end and far from the center. It's still within 10 minutes to a station. Somebody's going to either be living there who is not employed or employed nearby locally or doesn't mind the commute for the cheaper rent. So that's not a huge concern for us. Um beyond that, um, distance from station is a major one. Um, obviously, depends on the customer. Some of them want to have the potential for maybe capital. Like, for example, if somebody buys in Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, Kyoto, places that tend to rise up in price when the economy does well, 
they often want to potentially capitalize on that growth if and when it happens. So they prefer low, they'll settle for lower yield in return of being to being ex- closer to the center, right? Because the central wards are always the ones growing in um, in price first when the economy is as well. Um, but otherwise, they normally don't want to bank on any growth. They prefer to go for the highest yield that they can get in that stable city environment, in which case we'll look at everything in that city. And local realtors will also, once you start the partnerships with local realtors in each and every city, they'll obviously give you their own two cents about which areas are going to be more popular for what types of tenants, that sort of thing. So you can fine tune that as you become more um, more adept and more experienced in a particular city. And like, how do you, what what are the things that uh, you consider before you decide to work with a local, local realtor? Um... So that one is more of Chikako, my partner's side of the business. I can tell you my um, what I've been witnessing her do and not do in, over the course of time. So um, th- there's there's two aspects there. First, uh, if the customer comes to us with the listing that they found by themselves and they really want to purchase that listing, then we'll just work with that realtor because there's nobody else to work with. Often it's not going to be, as you know, they don't always share the commission and put the property on reins. And so we're sometimes forced to work with them. But there are red flags along the way that, for example, if they refuse to put anything in writing and they don't send us an email with the converse with you know to summarize a conversation, they don't want to write anything down in a contract. And um, that's a red flag for us. Um, I know that a lot of the old school realtors in Japan prefer everything to be via phone conversation, but we would demand that stuff is written down so that we can cycle back to it and say, hang on, but you said ABC and it's not happening. Um, another, it's not really a red flag, but after we've done one or two or three deals with them at most, we would normally be able to figure out if they're, um, as chanto as, as our Japanese side of the business likes things to be right. So if they email us, if they post documents to us without any cover, um, note explanation, if they're suddenly calling us 50 times on the weekend, because they, they become very pushy and the seller is pushing them and they're not really thinking about anything except concluding the sale as soon as possible. We just, we avoid working with them in the future. And obviously if they misreported something, um, if something was grossly different between the original listing and the actual official documents that we received for review, then that's a red flag as well. What if it's an accounting error? Sometimes you work, the accountants you work with make that mistake. Sorry, one more. Sometimes, sometimes it could be an accounting error, like where the accountant. Oh yeah, yeah. well, we're not going to immediately stop working with them if they made a single mistake. But in right, some right, cases, right. it becomes chronic, and then we recognize that that's going to be the case, either because mm-hmm. they're misrepresenting on purpose or because they're just not paying enough attention, right? So if it's a repeated, uh, repeated offense kind of thing, two three times, then we stop. I see. I see. And uh, well, do you know how to, for example, if, uh, without working with them, how do you? read into those situations uh, to find out uh, whether uh, there's a is there an agency or service you can contact to know whether this individual or this company has been misrepresenting in the past or how do you, um, how do you get that so there are online reviews for the bigger agencies if it's a big company with um, various uh, branches around japan or they're big enough in a single city to have an online presence and online reviews you can often 
read stuff, but you need to differentiate because some of it might be, for example, tenants complaining about them. And as a landlord, the tenants' complaints are maybe not the biggest concern for you. You actually prefer that they represent the landlord better, right? So it's a case-by-case basis. There's no... I mean, there are some websites that warn people about bad realtors, but we take that with a grain of salt because the end consumer's experience can be very different depending on how experienced or unexperienced they are. And um, it's difficult to tell in advance. I know that Chicago sometimes can get a vibe from a phone call that somebody is um, a bit too pushy or a bit too casual to be professional, but but that's Japanese nuances that are beyond me. So all I can say is that it comes with experience, I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, if that, that's a goal, right? To get it by intuition. So. Yeah. Did, did you say you mentioned your partner? Is he, he Japanese? Uh, the partner we're working with is Japanese. Uh, okay. My direct partner is Filipino. Yeah. Oh, the partner you're working with, you mean the realtor that you're currently working with? The realtor we're working with is Japanese. Okay. Well, I mean, they should be able to sniff out this kind of thing better than you and I can. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they they have like an entire legal team. Uh, you know, they were asking for because before we started working uh, together, I thought those were like uh, really good signs where uh, they did a lot of research about us, uh, what we do, you know, doing the due diligence, right? Asking all those questions, uh, how much do, how much of X do we know? Uh, now asking specific questions about break breaking down um, maybe our experience in rains or maybe uh, sale of foreign properties, understanding of foreign properties, and to, just to get the gist of uh, what they might need to educate us on, right? So they, they did a lot of that research uh, and asking all those questions, I thought, you know, these are the kind of people I want to work with because they're, you know, they're coming at us with those questions, which- It does sound good. Yeah, yeah, it does. It just does. Um, as, as a side note, don't, yeah. don't, put all your eggs in the one basket in the sense that try to form more relationships with more realtor offices, have more than a single partner, because depending on the size of the company and who's in charge, they sometimes suddenly have a policy shift and sorry, we don't work with foreigners anymore. So just have other options. Yeah. 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 For sure. sure. No, we we're looking to diversify. So if uh, once everything's set up, I hope we can connect again. Uh, Maybe we could also work together. Yeah. Always uh, happy to. Yeah, yeah. So from my point of view, it's just uh, that one of the things that we decided to come up in terms of like values, what we stand for, uh, we call it like a rubric. Okay. So uh, the first is like respect because everybody deserves respect to be treated with respect, you know, yeah. uh, regardless of where your status is, position, society, or whatever you do. You know? uh, and then you uh, uh, for unity, um, you know, it, to, it together we can do more. And then uh, P, uh, now that is um, uh, passion, because at the end of the day, we have to be passionate about what we do, right? And it's it's in the, in, in the process of this passion that uh, usually ends up uh, converting the lead or uh, deli- being able to deliver on what we promised. So we need to be really passionate, obsessed with what we do. So that's why passion is very important. And then... Uh, I, I for integrity because uh, when the it's it's like the old adage right where uh, you need to be, be able to plant trees when no one's watching so being able to do the right thing when no one's watching so that's one of the things we really really value and uh, the cue is for quality you know quality and service we want to be the we want to be able to do the best at what we do so that's, that's is that the name of the company Rupik? 
No, that's uh, that's the name of the value system. So that's beautiful. We I like that. Yeah. Well, what's the name of the company? Called, uh, uh, our company's called Realex, uh, Real Estate Experience. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Rupik is like our mascot. So we're trying to make a penguin mascot. Oh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the because mascot should stand for what we believe in, right? And so that thought we can bring out a name and uh, also represent each letter of the name of the mascot within the, with the values. And, uh, that's beautiful. That's I like that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, it's, it's uh, good to hear uh, positive feedback. <laughs> uh, and uh, we were, were thinking like taglines, like good taglines. Maybe you can have also suggest something good. So right now we were thinking of something like, uh, you know, uh, helping you find your way home. <laughs> I'm I'm the least creative type in the world, but that that sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you're going to be focusing, if yeah. I understand correctly, you're going to be focusing on owner occupied, whether holiday homes or, or family homes, but owner occupied properties, or uh, just the uh, tagline suggests that. No. Well, it, not holiday properties for now because you know there are. Uh, they're a bit out there and it takes a lot more to represent them. We're not there yet. So yeah. it, it, it requires a lot of resource focus and uh, it just it would it'd be, it'd be a major time thing when we're starting on holiday properties and now and then we have to sell them because of all that time we've invested. It just doesn't seem like the right move at the start. Maybe yeah. later when we have more resources. No, uh, no, I, I, I get that about the pricey holiday home, but yeah. I mean, find, helping you find your way home yeah. is, doesn't sound That's like it. an investment property. That's what I meant. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm here. Hello? Hello? Yeah, uh, I see you now. Yeah. Yeah, so it's my internet. Sorry. Yeah, maybe in the future when we can allocate those resources to the to the end where uh, it doesn't affect our day-to-day -day business process. So that sounds for the good. time being, yeah, time being is uh, more... My Zoom's folks. running out in a minute and a half. I can save the recording, then jump back in if we still need to go. Uh, we, we can connect at another time because I also have to jump to another meeting soon. So. Okay. But fantastic, man. Exciting stuff. Looking forward to seeing some um, advertising material so I can share it around. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your time today. And uh, I really enjoyed talking with you. So maybe let's uh, connect another time. Yeah. Anytime. My pleasure. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. So there you have it, really good chat, I thought, that goes a bit above, beyond, and behind the scenes of the real estate market here in Japan as far as business is concerned. And again, we'll link to the first part of the conversation, which is just as interesting in this episode show notes. Be sure to check it out. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com. And he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. 
do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think so leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store on Spotify or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode we love hearing from you hope to have you with us again next time and until then have a great day or night ahead Yudoshiku Yudoshiku